Hello, Matthew here with a quick introduction. Um, if you normally listen to the show, I wanted to warn everyone that there is some stronger language in this episode uh, from the early intro beginning of it. So just to warn you, if you want to turn it off or skip some of it or cover the ears of small people who might listen along with you, maybe just to give you a warning. And also to warn you that the sound you hear partway through that sounds like someone's breathing or a motorbike or something, that's Mandy's cat. Just so you know, it's not noise on the line or something. There was a cat in the room. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to episode 160 of Pop Culturally Deprived, where each week we watch a movie I've never seen before, which is most of them, and talk about the good, the bad, and the holy goat. This week we're going to be talking about four weddings and a funeral on your fuck-a-doodle-doo podcast. I am Mandy Kay, and when I'm not watching really terrible British films, I'm probably on Twitter at Mandy Kay or rewatching Buffy. And I'm Matthew Vose. I'm on Twitter at Matthew Vose, generally espousing views on Star Trek that I feel like other people don't agree with. Okay. And given we're recording this before I've espoused those views, let's see what happens. <laughs> oh, goodness. You must have. What, do you have views about Picard? I have Picard feelings. Oh, we need to have a conversation about this. We but do. we'll do that we when do. we're done recording. Almost as though it's mentioned on our Patreon exclusive show. Hey, we have a Patreon and you can get exclusive shows if you come support us on Patreon. Every month, Mandy and I talk about what we've been up to, our pop culture adventures in Mandy and Matthew's excellent adventures. Come listen to us espouse all these views. I'm going to use the word espouse all the way. Okay. It espouses our version of Skulk. Um, <laughs> we... <laughs> We have a bonus show where I talk about films. You can get access to this show early. You can get shout-outs on our shows. You can get uh, exclusive merch, all sorts of exciting things. So go check out uh, patreon.com slash eloquentgushing, and you can see all the cool stuff you can get for supporting us over and above being an amazing supporter and someone that we love very much because you let us do this amazing thing. Everything that Matthew just said. Times infinity. Times infinity. Times infinity, yes. And beyond. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I feel like we're waffling so that we don't have to talk about this movie called Four Weddings and a Funeral. Four Weddings and a Funeral. Can I tell you what this movie's about? Okay. You say that like you don't actually know what I'm going to say. Like okay, it's not on the no, screen right in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> so, in this movie... Hugh Grant falls in love with Andy McDowell, even though she's a really terrible person. And somewhere, we're subjected to four weddings and a funeral in the process. Somehow? I mean, somewhere. it's based around four weddings and a funeral. Nah. Okay. If you say so. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I kind of felt like the weddings didn't need to be there. Maybe the okay. first two. It, there is a very old film. Not very old film. Film from the 40s. Um, called 40s, maybe? Who knows? There's a film called Holiday Inn, which has some of this sort of setup. It's about people coming together in a place mm -hmm. on holidays throughout the year. Okay. And it's I think it's the first film that White Christmas was in and so on. Um, 
I, I just feel like that's the setup for it. It is about friends coming back together and the things they go through at weddings. And there are aspects of it that, oh, this is stuff we'll get into later probably a bit more, that are very real. There is a, a phase of your life where you suddenly go to multiple weddings every year. And there are people you see only at those weddings. Like, maybe you see them at the stag do's, the hen do's, things like that. But, like, that's your chance to catch up with them over the course of those years. Okay. Might, might be because they're your circle of friends, but you only come together because there's always an event on. Or it might be, like, friends of friends, but you sort of are in orbit of each other mm-hmm. because of, you know, shared connections. All right. So I think that's the setup for the plot. I think that was what was supposed to be the setup for the plot, but I don't think it was okay. executed well. Oh, interesting. Okay, well, let's let's circle back onto that one. Now, four weddings and a funeral. I slated this film when it came out. I thought it wasn't very good. I thought it annoyed me. And I've had to rescind that over the years, as I've realized I can be very down on the romantic comedy genre. Um, it's not okay. a genre that appeals to me it's not a genre that I go to and this is one of the uh, Paramount Pictures it's not a Paramount Picture it's an MGM Picture it's one of the tentpole releases in the genre you know it unleashed Hugh Grant into the world in oh this, I like that <laughs> in, in this role I mean you know he is playing Hugh Grant and he will go on to play Hugh Grant for many years hence um, true and it's you know, nice English boy meets American girl. It's been done again and again in different things, in different ways. Um, and things written by Richard Curtis starring Hugh Grant. Absolutely, yeah. About <laughs> him and, a, 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 and an American woman. Yeah. Um, to the extent, I can even remember when this was out and talking to friends about it and me saying, God, you know, it's a terrible film. It's just for girls. Silly teen Matthew stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And one of my male friends going... Yeah, but they say fuck a lot. It can't be just for women. <laughs> now, obviously, I'm paraphrasing. I have no idea what the actual conversation was, but something on those lines, like, actually, when you dig into it, it's not just, you know, there is comedy and there is stuff either side of it. Sure. Honestly, I, I don't think I view this as a romantic comedy at all. But I can understand why okay. it has been labeled that. But but in terms of the genre... Mm-hmm. And you know you've got these these classic the, the classic films with people like Bing Crosby, Cary Grant, and going through the years, and you eventually get to Hugh Grant films, mm-hmm. and there will then be Notting Hill, Two Weeks Notice, various others. Mm-hmm. This is a film you should have seen, Mandy. Is <laughs> <laughs> what I'm basically getting to. It is ridiculous that we are covering this, and this is a film I've seen a good number of times because it is a staple of British television. And you've never seen it. Never seen it. Well, I mean, I have the- now. Obviously, they were talking about it. But I I don't know. Like, it's not a movie that I was ever really aware of. I know that I'd heard the title somewhere. Like, I've kind of always been aware that there's this movie called Four Weddings and a Funeral, but I never knew what it was about. And I right. think... Partly because it's got the word funeral in the title. I never assumed that it was one of those, like, girly romance movies that I like. Okay. And I'm also wondering if it was kind of far off my radar because it is a British movie. Okay. Okay. I'm wondering if that's part of it, given the time period. Have you seen Notting Hill? Well, yes. 
Well, okay, it had Julia say, Roberts in it, yes. You say, well, yes, as though, you know. It's got course. Julia Roberts in it. Because so, it's a yes. American girl meets English boy, you know, <laughs> nice London-based rom-com. But Julia Roberts was America's <laughs> sweetheart in the 90s. Okay. Andy McDowell was not. Well, no, Andy McDowell is not a lot of things, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> um, do you just not like her because she's from South Carolina? Is there like a tension going on? Here? No, no, it's not that I don't like her. <laughs> I, I mean, I think she's great. There are movies that she, there's a movie that she's been in that I love. Um, I, I hated her character in this. I just haven't seen her do a ton of stuff. Okay, fair. So it's baffling that we're covering this for the podcast. This feels like something we should not have to do. I am so sorry to disappoint you, Matthew. <laughs> it's so strange. Just like when you get, you know, Moonstruck, I can understand. Mm-hmm. It's not the biggest, biggest, biggest thing. But uh, maybe this is just because it was so huge over here. I just don't remember it being huge here. But mm. I was 12 in 1994. And maybe it just targeted an older demographic than preteen Mandy. Maybe. Maybe. Um I think part of it might also be the wet, wet, wet song Love Is All Around that is the 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 thing from this is the second longest number one in UK chart history. Mm. Okay. Uh, so there was a you know, there was a quarter it was more than a quarter of the year where that was number one. It was being played everywhere, it was being bought everywhere. You saw the video, the music video, and the video had clips of this film in it. So, you know. Okay. 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 Why don't you tell us a little bit about this movie before we really <laughs> jump into our conversation? <laughs> You're not going to ask me what the the, the number one longest serving no. single is. No. But why okay. don't you tell us? Do you know what it is? No. Okay. Why would I? I'm pop culturally deprived, Matthew. Okay. We'll return to that one in future. Oh, God. Okay. Four, wedding, Four Weddings and a Funeral is a 1994 British romantic comedy written by Richard Curtis, directed by Mike Newell. The film stars Hugh Grant, Annie McDowell, Kristen Scott Thomas, Simon Cowell, and John Hanna, and a myriad of other people. Many actors were auditioned for the lead role of Charles, with Hugh Grant coming in late into the casting process, and Curtis, who had written Charles based on himself, voting against Grant, Grant being cast, as he felt he was too handsome for the role. Other actors considered for Carrie were Marissa Tomei and Sarah Jessica Parker, with Gianne Triplehorn initially cast, but having to drop out due to a death in the family. The film had many issues with funding, including a third of the budget being removed prior to filming. In the end, filming went for 36 days with a budget of £2.7 million, and it made $245 million at the box office. That was despite concerns that the American audiences would not want to see this film because of the title, Apparently was expected to massively put off the male audience. And the constant swearing was suspected it would uh, put off Americans. And it did. Oh, there that's were so interesting. I don't protests. think it would put off Americans now. I want to say Mormon groups. Because they did a screening in Salt Lake City. Mm. Like a test screening. Can I find that reference quickly with my look? through it your cat's going at it some mm-hmm. um, letting me know that he is here after initial screening of the movie in salt lake city led to conservative led the conservative mormon members of the city council to walk out 
Accordingly, the director and actors agreed to reshoot the scene with the British swear word bugger to be used in the American version. The executives also objected to the title, believing Four Weddings and a Funeral would turn off male viewers from the film. In its place, they suggested titles such as True Love and Near Misses, Loitering in Sacred Places, Skulking Around and Rolling in the Isles, none of which were accepted. Yeah, those are all terrible titles. I quite like Rolling in the Isles. I do quite like that. (laughs) It's terrible. In 2019, a TV adaptation was released, created by Mindy Kaling and Matt Warburton. See, the fact that Mindy Mindy Mm. Kaling is a part of it kind of makes me interested in it, but it got Mm -hmm. terrible reviews, didn't it? Oh, really? Okay, so um, do you remember uh, Connie, who came and joined us for See You Yesterday? She tweeted a lot about it. I think she was really into it. Okay. So it's kind of making me mm. jazzed for the idea. It's got this like anthology thing. I think each episode is set over a different wedding or a funeral or something. Okay. I think it's on Hulu here. Right? It I was a Hulu is, original. Yeah, it's not available it? over here at the moment. Oh, so. Okay. Okay. How were you able to watch this one in the US? It is on Stars. So it's like Stars on Demand. Okay. And it's Outlander okay. season, so I have stars right now. So this lined up perfectly. <laughs> nice. Over here, it is available on Netflix. All right. The film, not the TV show. So um, we've got Richard Curtis as the writer. This was, mm-hmm. you know, he had done stuff before this, but this was again a, a, a big moment for him. And then the cast: Hugh Grant, Andy McDowell, Kristen Scott Thomas. What do you know them from? Um, I had to look up Richard Curtis because I wasn't familiar with his name. But I've actually seen a lot of his stuff. Everything mm-hmm. from after this, though. <laughs> um, right. We've already talked about Notting Hill. He did Bridget Jones, Bridget Jones 2. I, did he do Bridget Jones 3? Maybe. No. no. Um, he did Love Actually. And, of course, he wrote one of the best Doctor Who episodes ever <laughs> from Matt Smith's tenure, Vincent and the mm-hmm. Doctor. Nice. That's one that we made you watch, isn't it? Yes, it is. Okay. Yeah, that's one of the best standalone episodes of Doctor Who ever. So that right there makes me want to watch anything else he's ever written. Okay. So. For um, the Brit listeners who aren't aware of his heritage, he wrote on Not the Nine O'Clock News, Spitting Image, Mr. Bean, executive producer and writer for Bicker and Dibley. But particularly, he was a key writer for Blackadder. Now, Blackadder is a Big, big series over here. Okay. Um, Four seasons, maybe four seasons and a couple of specials. Uh, How many episodes? 24 episodes plus three specials over four seasons. It is one I think we might have to visit at some point. Interesting. Okay. What's Mm. it about? Rowan Atkinson plays a character called Blackadder, who has a... He is an anti-hero. Out for himself, scheming, conniving. Mm. Um, he has a dog's body called Baldrick, and it's about their adventures. Okay. I'm interested just for the sheer fact that Rowan Atkinson is in it, because I'm fascinated to see him in roles that aren't Mr. Bean. Right. Because he is just Mr. Bean to me, and when I see him, like, see, watching mm-hmm. him in this was so weird, and then I was like, he's still kind of playing this like Mr. Bean. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's... You know, key cast is Rowan Atkinson, Tony Robinson, uh, Miranda Richardson, Stephen Fry, Hugh Laurie, Rick Mail was in it. Um, mm, okay. You know, you'll go through this and it, it's, again, you know, Richard Curtis was write, writing it and you will see like, oh, this is where a lot of these people started. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. Okay. Interesting. 
Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant. How is this our first Hugh Grant movie on the show? Probably because I've seen a lot of Hugh Grant movies. You've seen a ton of his stuff. <laughs> okay, I really haven't because there's way more that I haven't seen. So I've really only seen like Notting Hill, Bridget Jones, Two Weeks Notice, Love Actually, and Music and Lyrics, which if you haven't seen is his best movie ever. Okay. Um, it's really not a lot of movies. It just feels like it. Right. Um, so that's, I, I don't know. He's great. I love him. Um, he is, he is Hugh Grant. And, and I've seen him in interviews talking about, you know, I don't have a great amount of range, but they write characters based around this kind of English guy. So I get to play it. Yeah. Well, I mean, he, he absolutely does what he what does well. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Yep. Um, we've previously talked about Andy McDowell on Groundhog Day. Um, mm. And I think I said this back then. When I think of her, I still think of the John Travolta movie, Michael. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Kristen Scott Thomas. When I think of her, I think of Robert Redford and The Horse Whisperer. Okay. But of course, yeah, 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 I yeah. now also think of her in Fleabag because she was pretty great in her one episode. <laughs> yep. Um, everybody else, Simon Callow, we talked about on Shakespeare in Love. Mm-hmm. Um, adored him in this. John Hanna, I had forgotten that was his name, but he's Evie's brother in The Mummy. <laughs> I'm yes, sure I've seen him in other things, but when I see his face, that's what I'm reminded of. Okay. So I'd forgotten that, and I thought, oh, yes, he was in 23 episodes of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, that's right. He was the creator of Ada. Mm. Right, but also he's another one who just rocks up in all the the British rom com stuff. Mm. Okay. Mm. Well, I mean that's kind of everybody in this movie, right? Yeah, it's really? it's another one of those that as as I'm watching, it, I'm like, oh look, it's James Fleet doing the thing that James Fleet does. Oh look, it's um who was he Bernard Bernard doing the thing that Bernard does. Bernard, Bernard? Uh, David Haig. Yeah, they're, they're all people you've seen, you know, over here we've seen in various TV shows and things doing that thing. Uh, so we've kind of touched on other things this is similar to, talking about the rom-com, American Girl, British Boy, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. I mean, I don't really think it's a rom-com, and so it, comparing it to... I, like, I actually looked up movies that are similar to Four Weddings and a Funeral, and it gave mm. me, like, all of the traditional rom-coms. Um, mm-hmm. that are 90s and, like, tangentially British. <laughs> so it gave me love... Tangentially a- British. <laughs> I'm not saying this movie is tangentially British. But... What? Can you give me a tangentially British movie, please? <laughs> no, because you're going to fight me on anything that I say now. So I, I take okay. it back. <laughs> I take it back. Um, But it gives me movies... I mean, it, like, it compares it because of... Richard Curtis, it gives you Notting Hill mm-hmm. and Love Actually, but I don't think these movies are actually similar. Love Actually, yeah. Other than they all were written by Richard Curtis and star Hugh Grant. Yeah. Um, you know, I probably would liken it more to Moonstruck, which we recently talked about. And we talked okay. about kind of my epiphany about rom-coms in that episode where I don't like gritty realism in my rom-com. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, okay. And I, I guess... That's kind of the feeling I was getting with this one a little bit. It was okay. less rom-com and more rom-real. Mm. Okay. That's a really, really bad pun. Sorry. 
did you enjoy four weddings and a funeral? Do you think I enjoyed four weddings and a funeral? Well, you know, we're, we're like 15, 20 minutes in and very clearly not, but I'm going to no. ask the question anyway. I didn't. Like, I really, really wish that I could get those two hours back. Oh, no, that bad. Yeah. Did you actively dislike it? Parts of it. There are parts mm. of it I did like, and we'll mm-hmm. get to those. But in general, yes, because nobody in the A-plot was somebody I rooted for. Right. I didn't root for any of the romances. I didn't root for Hugh Grant's character. And arguably, I should have wanted um, Charles and Carrie to end up together, and I did not. Mm. No. Like, I would have been okay if Charles and Fiona ended up together. Mm-hmm. But that still wasn't the direction they were trying to go in. And in the end, I just really didn't care if Charles ended up with anybody at all. Yeah. And so for me, for this kind of movie, that means it's an utter failure. It's a little baffling, isn't it? How much everything else in this film, except for the main story, is interesting. And the a main story bit. we spend so much time on... And you're just shouting at them going, you're idiots. <laughs> you're awful, <laughs> awful idiots. Yes. I mean, I don't actually think Charles was awful. I think he was stupid. But I don't think he was awful. I think Carrie mm. was actively awful. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I also have a problem that I think Andy McDowell is horrifically miscast. I think... I, I think Carrie is supposed to be, and, and Sarah Jessica Parker, when we think of the family stone, mm-hmm. that performance she gave there, taking out the, the extreme nervousness stuff, but the core of the character, confident, mm-hmm. does well at work, you know, can, can actually manage things, I think would have worked here. I think seeing mm-hmm. Marissa Tomei as an, an option, I don't know Jean Triplehorn very well. But what I know, what I have seen her in, yeah, I can see it more. Just a, a character who comes across with more confidence and more self-assuredness than just being seemingly nice girl next door. Because I think that's what Andy McDowell is pitching for. Mm-hmm. They just, were. It felt like they were trying to find an odd combination between sexually confident and girl next door, and it mm. didn't work. It was confusing. Yeah, and, and I think. It really lets her down because she's making these choices, I Mm -hmm. I think. I think she is trying to play it as nice girl, Mm -hmm. nice person, girl next door, whatever that means. Um, So she's having to act and deliver in a very certain way against people who are playing themselves or playing the character they play very well and very easily. Hugh Grant. Mm -hmm. Does this role? Chris and Scott Thomas does this role. James right. Fleet does the thing James Fleet does in bloody everything he acts in. Um, so I think this is everyone else on set is very calm and confident about what they're doing, and she's and actively she's having, playing against type. Yeah, possibly so. I because I, I don't know enough about Andy McDowell to say that, that it's against type that this is not something she does. But I do. I think she's out of her depth mm-hmm. with this character, um, and it's it's a shame. And it, a large part of that might be down to the writing. Because there's also the fact that, like, it's fine. Great. They sleep together at that first wedding. It's great. And she's funny. She jokes with him in the morning and mm-hmm. winds him up. And that is a good moment. Mm-hmm. That makes me like her. Like, oh, okay, this woman's got some confidence. Right. But I never feel that confidence from her. I see it in the writing and the, the bit where she's talking through all her uh, the men she slept with. Mm-hmm. Which I don't believe she can remember them. 
frankly, <laughs> in that detail, but fine. Um, it, it, the film is not going anywhere to make her feel ashamed about it, which is great. But at the same time, I don't get anything from her other than it, this is a perfunctory thing I've done with all these people. I actually think the film was trying to shame her for it. Oh, really? I think okay. her character was not. But okay. the first introduction we get to her was Fiona, who who I didn't even know her name at the time. Kristen Scott Thomas was mm-hmm. telling Charles about her, said she's American, calls her a slut. It's the right. First thing we hear about her. Mm-hmm. And then we get the scene where they do sleep together. And in the morning, she is very clearly, they focus in on the zipper on her suitcase. She's very clearly trying to not wake him up as she, like, skulks, skulks out of the room without waking him yeah. up. But then he wakes up, and so she go, she rolls with it. But that when, she, when they were doing that, my first thought was, oh, God, they really are trying to write her the way Kristen Scott Thomas, like, introduced her to okay. us. Mm-hmm. Like, she's a love them and leave them kind of girl. Mm-hmm. And then... While she is going through her whole list of conquests or whatever, I love that she does it, and she does it with no shame. Adore Mm -hmm. it. Hugh Grant's reaction to it is, wow, that's so many. I can't believe you've had that many. Well, I haven't had that many. And it just felt like the movie itself was making a statement against it. Oh, okay. Now, I think I take that as him being, oh, wow, you're so experienced and I'm not, or almost emasculated through it. Hmm. It's not he's commenting on her, he's feeling shriveled by it. <laughs> <laughs> I also don't buy that he's only had nine partners, given well, the, right. the table <laughs> of partners we had at the wedding. Like, just the one wedding, all of his ex-girlfriends gathered around. Yeah. Who's that? Was that was Bernard and Dave? Lydia? Lydia. Lydia. I was so close. Yeah, April and Lydia, <laughs> almost exactly the same. Yeah. Absolutely, they're yeah. like months. It's fine. <laughs> I think Lydia, whoever was arranging and inviting and doing all this, doesn't like him. Oh yeah, that because was he's clear. not. He's not sat with his friends. Mm-hmm. He's not sat with anyone he might get on with. He's sat in his own personal hell where other people can have fun at his expense. Yes. I, I You know, there's nothing to support this, but we never see them talking. And True. And he's sat in a really terrible... Like, you know, you wouldn't put someone in that position at a wedding. Unless you didn't want them there or didn't expect them to come, frankly. Fair enough. Mm. Um... So so when she's doing that list, I would expect her to be enjoying it. Okay. Sex is supposed to be fun and good and a thing people want to do, right? For, for various reasons. Generally, yes. Let's let's take that as written. She's so mechanical about it. She's not like I've had all this sex and it was great and I slept with these guys and this guy was, oh, that was really, really enjoyed it. She's just kind of listing it and it's a bit like, okay. Well, I mean, I think, I don't know. I think she did a little bit of both, you know, because some of it was early experiences, not that great, against the fence, don't recommend it. But then she had the one where she was like, this guy was really good, so the next guy definitely wasn't because he was in the shadow of first guy you know know, so she had some of that um i think it just came across as a list and and, and this is almost my point i could imagine 
the other three actresses that I found listed as as you know they were very close mm-hmm. to being cast, and the one who was originally cast in the role, I could see doing that, and I could see giving a really you, you think. So this must have been about the same sort of time as L.A. Story. And you think Sarah Jessica Parker in that and the confidence her character had in that as Sandy. Mm. You know, delivering a moment like that. I don't think she would have delivered quite all of it. Right, right. Although although it might have solved the thing with the politician with the young American girl. Mm. Don't know. So you said an interesting thing about Kristen Scott Thomas and that it was her introduction of Carrie and saying... Uh, who's that girl? She's out of your league. Um, American. Interesting. Slut. Oh. Is is the back and forth they have. Yes. And, and it really is an interesting thing of like, wow, Kristen Scott's Thomas character is someone who doesn't like women, I think is what kind of comes across. But I, I feel like in the end, it it's almost part of the story that she loves Charles. So anyone he shows an interest in, she instantly hates. I think that's interesting because it never came across to me that she didn't like women. It just kind of came across that she kind of didn't like the world. I mean, she actively wore black to all the weddings. Brilliant. And those weddings weren't for Charles. Well, okay, one of them was. But she didn't wear black to his wedding. You know, so she, I don't know. I, I just read that as like a personality. Like she was almost an adult goth almost. Like she was just. Okay. Daria. Yes. She was, she was negative. <laughs> And just, I don't know. Because the other time we see it is with Henrietta. Duckface. And she's like, calls her Duckface and all That's of this. That's true. And it's, I, I think, you know, that coupled with some of the, the other stuff is, mm, she's not nice to other women except for Suzanne. Scarlet. Scarlet. I got one of the letters right. You know, I'm getting there. <laughs> um, the, there would almost be a thing if she doesn't view her as a rival. Maybe. Right, because she's his sister, right? Oh, is that what it is? I just I... assumed they were friends. I don't think it's ever said that they're siblings. Maybe no, God, the relationships the between these people is baffling to me. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Fiona and Tom are brother and sister. James Fleet, yes, yeah. And I the thought, yeah, with the really bad 90s haircut. Mm-hmm. And then I thought Scarlett and Hugh Grant might have been brother and sister because they lived together. But they could have just been roommates. Yeah, I just assumed they were... They were roommates. Anyway. I'm, I'm having a look. I can't see anything on it. But, but I mean, you're absolutely right. This is just a group of friends. You know, very, very similar to the famous show, Friends. Just It's just lots of people hanging out who haven't known each other from different places. Because, like, Matthew is best man for Charles. And I don't think up until that point they've really spoken much or we've seen them interacting too much. Mm-hmm. But it obviously speaks to they're very, very close. But then when when you sort of think about it, look at it, yes, Charles was the one who went to Matthew to tell him about Gareth. Mm-hmm. This kind of, like, there, there are closer friendships and less close friendships, but you don't get to see them because all you're seeing is this day where they're seated with different people doing right. different jobs. Yeah. yeah, we don't really get to see them being friends together. We just get to see no. them. We know they're all friends. They're all in the same circle. But then we kind of get mm-hmm. to see each of them doing their own thing on these four days. Exactly. That were shown. Yeah. So so for me, the, the biggest problem with it is Annie Riddell and Carrie. <sighs> yes. I think I think if there was charisma between those two, it would work. Um, 
you know, some sort of chemistry. I think if you didn't have the scene in the rain at the end, which is... Go on. I've read about how that people hate that line. Mm-hmm. Oh, is it still raining? I hadn't even noticed. Like, that I line did noticed. not bother me at all. And then I found out there's it's all this controversy awful. surrounding it. It's awful. And especially because the next one, she makes a comment about it raining and her yeah. being really wet. And it's like, okay. I mean, her delivery of the line wasn't that great. Like, that was not the scene of two people who were in love with each other, right? Mm. It wasn't. I think you're right. They had no chemistry with each other. That's the problem. Yeah. Andy McDowell and Hugh Grant had no chemistry. But Carrie, Andy McDowell's character was just a horrible human being. And so I just didn't care about her at all. The wedding to wedding stuff of she comes to that first wedding fine. She comes to the second wedding and then is like, oh, hey, here's my fiance. Not, hey, I'm engaged now. I've met this guy. Mm -hmm. She didn't have the decency to look ashamed whenever she told him. She just was like, "Eh, hey, and then she just walked away. Yeah. And by the end, she's very clearly wanting to string him along. Yes. And maybe hope he's there for her and, you know, goes flipping wedding dress shopping with him. Right. And has this whole thing. And then when, like, he goes to her wedding. Fine. And and all seems to be okay there. But then she comes to his wedding and it's like, oh, hey, by the way, I'm single now. Right. Uh, Why didn't she do it the day before? Like, if she knew when the wedding was, like, why wait? Yeah. Why wait? So I, I think that's the bit that really lets it down. And it's a shame because pretty much every other romance and plot that goes on is actually quite interesting and does some cool stuff. So we've got siblings and friends and people meeting and getting together and getting hitched really quickly. We've got long-term romances. We've got all sorts of things going on. Were there Was there another plot or romance that you were really into? Gareth and Matthew. Okay. It was like, I wondered from the beginning because the first shot that we got with them was the two of them, they were living together and they were getting ready for the wedding. And like Matthew Mm -hmm. got the shaving cream off of Gareth's face. And so I wondered in that moment, are these two a couple, but they never explicitly said it. Right. Mm. And then you got to see both of them kind of off. They were never really together. Like they didn't dance with each other and that sort of thing. And so I just wasn't really sure until Watching his reaction, finding out that Gareth had died, and then his eulogy. That was when I was like, oh, yeah, these two are definitely a couple. Um, But watching them be friends and, like, I want more of that relationship. Like, I want that movie. (laughs) Like, if we're going to do these day-in-the-life movies, like, give me the interesting one. And, God, Gareth was an amazing character, and I want to see more about his life. Well, is that because he was at times the overt comic relief and mm. that's the one happy relationship that from the start obviously it's not happy because he dies right but, but like they don't go through any crisis or issues or you know mm-hmm. they are just a great couple together yeah hmm. yeah but i mean from the beginning so like i'm try- i don't even remember what he did to make me type this in my in my thoughts doc but right after <laughs> Matthew helped Charlie get the rings, like Scarlet's ring, because he had forgotten yeah, yeah. the rings and all that stuff. Gareth was doing something in the audience. And I don't know what it was, but I typed, I don't know who this old bearded guy is, but I love him. 
I think Wait. he was just singing Jerusalem. Is that what it Dark was? Dark satanic mills. <laughs> I don't know. I loved him. I thought he was amazing. Um, and so just like from the beginning, I wanted more of right. Garrett. Okay. When I finally yeah, figured yeah. out what his name was. They did not do well at telling us what these characters' names were. The only reason I knew Fiona's name was Fiona was because I watched this with closed captioning on. <laughs> So there was, okay, so that's the established one, the properly established one at the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. Were there any that we saw develop through the, the, had you that seemed? No, the, they, they tried to set it up that Fiona and Charles would end up together. Mm-hmm. And so, and God, that was poor writing because they did a bad job of setting it up. Mm-hmm. But then they were explicit oh, with it and still went a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, so all we got, there were two lines that really kind of pushed the movie in that direction. One okay. was Fiona, Fiona saying, the woman asking her, so are you a lesbian or what? And she's oh, yeah, like, yeah. Um, which was kind of a great conversation the way that went. At first I was pissed and then I was like, okay, no, she's actually right. Let's not be dull. Um, but then she said, no, I've actually been in love with somebody for ages. He just doesn't know I'm alive. Right. And in that mm. moment, I was like, oh, they're talking about Hugh Grant's character. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, it just felt a little too overt. Mm-hmm. And then we get nothing else at all. You don't get longing glances at him from her. We don't get the two of them interacting at all. Then we just get her blurting out to him. It's you, Charlie, which had the potential yeah. to be a great scene. But it wasn't earned. No. And then she does this like great thing, which I think it's wonderful for a woman to own her feelings and to be that forward. Mm-hmm. And then nothing comes of it. The next thing we no. see is Charles is getting married and they cover up the name of the woman. Yep. Because they want us to wonder, is it Carrie? Is it Fiona? You never even consider that it might be Duckface. <laughs> and then it's Henrietta. Like yep. I was actively screaming at the television at this point. And, and Henrietta, who is coded as not a nice person, you know, she, the way she kind of preys on him at the the couple of scenes we see them together at the weddings, and is just hmm. th- there's an element that comes across as she's making her want to marry him, even though he's not in love with her, and, yeah, and I she just, she's I just read her as very very needy. Mm, she's the one bride who, on her wedding day, when things aren't as perfect as she would like them to be, is annoyed by it. Yes. Whereas, like, Rowan Atkinson messing up becomes funny. And, you know, everyone else sort of deals with people getting there late and so on. She is the bridezilla. Yes. And it's it's almost a shame because I feel like they're setting her up for that. Because Mm. she's the woman that Charles is marrying. And and I don't think Charles will be marrying her. No. He was marrying her just for the sake of being married, like, at that point. Mm. Which Mm. also wasn't earned because he started our introduction to him in his first best man speech was... I couldn't get married. So why yeah. is all of a sudden he choosing to marry somebody we know he doesn't love? Yeah. That's why okay. I think the execution of this movie just was not well. Like, right. I think the idea is great. I even think some of the writing is great. Mm-hmm. But as a whole, it just didn't work for me. I love the relationship with his brother and... The woman who falls for his brother. 
I can't remember her name. Elizabeth? might not even have a name. No, she does. She told him her name. Because she learned how to spell it. I'm not seeing on the cast list, so. Let's check IMDb, because we should credit people. Serena. I've got the gif of her spelling Serena. Oh, okay. (laughs) Okay. It was Serena, not Elizabeth. We are not doing well on names today. We're not. They're not doing well on names, frankly. Um, the, the, The fact that she sees him and she's like, Oh, he's a bit of a dish, <laughs> and then and then it's like, oh, he can't speak. He, he he's deaf. He speaks in sign language. So you see her several months later, having learned some basic sign language, just so she can speak to him. And yes. then further weddings and further weddings, she's there and they're interacting. Yes. and it's just like it's utterly in the background. It's very cute. I want more of that one. Mm-hmm. But, but we get nothing of them. It's just those couple of scenes with them and then a shot of them getting married at the end. Yeah, yeah. And it's a real shame. You get you get Scarlet and the big American guy. Like, and I want more about how they're trying to make that work. Or is she thinking of moving there? Is he thinking of moving over for her? Right, Are yeah. they just happy to, to hook up at weddings? Because again, they're in the orbit of each other. Something like that. No, but they got married too. Yeah. I, I want to know more about each of these things because I think there's some really interesting stories to tell. Yeah. But but we get Andy Medell listening stuff. And Fiona doesn't get an interesting story. No, she gets nothing. Nothing. She she almost might not as well be there. I thought they were setting up that she and Rowan Atkinson were going to end up together. And that would be a really interesting opposite to track sort of thing. Right, right. Yeah. They so they did put there. a picture of her up at the end, it was not a yeah, wedding yeah. photo. Her, I was pissed. Yes, yes. I yeah, was pissed. Brilliant. I was like, I thought that was Prince Charles, but I wasn't positive. No, it was. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so the whole point is they are part of the landed gentry. So they are right, in right. that circle anyway. So like there is something there that's quite cute given what's happened with the royal family and, you know, him going with someone else and so on. But why did everybody else get a wedding photo and she didn't? I think that's a funny one. I think that is actually good comedy. Is it just, I don't get it because I'm not British? Maybe. Okay. Maybe it's, you know, it's just making a comment on that's the circle she actually runs in. So, you know, how funny she was into Hugh Grant. Now she's oh, I see. in a relationship okay. with the guy who's going to be king right. at some point in the next few years. All right. Maybe. Possibly. I hope not, but, you know. <laughs> okay. Because I want Liz to live forever, frankly. Um, it's really hard because there's a lot to have a go at, I think. Yeah. And and I think, like, like I say, I didn't want to be too hard because I know I can be down on the rom-com genre, mm-hmm. but I don't want to be just because it is. But I'm sort of going back to, have, you know, probably having watched it and thought about it this time, going back towards my feelings of, no, actually, I had it down when I was like 13 or 14 or whenever I saw this. <laughs> this, this ain't that good. It's not. And everything except for the A-plot is way more interesting. Mm. But the A-plot gets a lot of time. Yes. Does it give time to anything else that you do want to call out? Stuff you would say, right, this was done well in the film. You mean like favorite moments kind of thing? or Like, like possibly just... maybe favorite moments. I'm hesitant <laughs> to say favorite moments because I'm not sure there's much of this. You'd be like, oh, that was my favorite. That is a scene I would watch yeah. over and over and over. 
Um, the performances were great. You know, we've talked about this. And I think it's largely because this cast was cast to do what they do best other than Andy yeah. McDowell. Like, yeah. this is the blossoming of Hugh Grant doing Awkward. Mm-hmm. Right? And mm-hmm. he just immediately was so good at it. Yeah. And I thought that was great. Simon gets Oh, my God. I almost said Simon Cowell. <laughs> Simon Callow. It's fantastic. I just mm. enjoyed him every time he was on the screen. Nice. What does that were, look for? Were there any moments of Hugh Grant being awkward that particularly stood out? Um, let me look at my notes. Or was it just his sort of bumbling? Because they tried to do stuff with like him locked in with the couple having sex. It just makes me cringe. I think it's supposed to be funny in a oh, this is the stiff British, uh, stiff British upper lip behind closed doors, and see how they're getting naughty and stuff. It's like no, it's their wedding night. Let them do it. <laughs> <laughs> um. So it started. His awkwardness for me started when he, he um, had just. Like tried to talk to Carrie. He had brought her that first glass of champagne and the other guy walks up and he's like, how's your gorgeous girlfriend? Oh, she's not my girlfriend anymore. Oh, sorry, dude. I always heard she really was still sleeping with this other guy. <laughs> she's my wife now. Yeah. And the look on his face, his stuttering, his absolutely inability to like respond mm-hmm. was perfectly played. Yeah. That is one of the great moments of this sort of film. Yes. I, I'm, I'm pleased that that was one that stood out because that is, you know, that is one that you see again and again, particularly because you then cut to him headbutting a post, just so annoyed <laughs> with himself for doing that. And I think the, the wedding speech he gives as best man, where he does this whole thing of it was fine until I told them that he couldn't stand her mother and that he'd been married before or he was reusing a wedding, you know, you know some sort of ridiculous story. And everyone's laughing at him, but the way he's delivering it, has a slight sense of, I think he actually did this. I think this is actually a real story. And and everyone thinks he's being really funny, but... Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I liked I, his speech. I thought it was I wish, hilarious. Yeah, I wish we'd had that for more and more of the film, of him just doing slightly ridiculous things to the people around him. Yeah. Because he just does not know how to not put his foot in it. That I would have laughed at. That would have been a good over-the-top character stuff. But after that first moment, I don't think they really returned to it. No. I mean, he had a few more moments that were awkward, but Mm. none quite, quite so much as that. So, Mm. um, I also like, there were a few things this movie did that I thought were pretty great for a movie that came out in 1994. Right. Um, we've talked about Carrie being unapologetic about her sexual partners, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. regardless of what the rest of the movie said about that, her character being unapologetic was fantastic. Yeah. Um, the inclusion of a deaf character with sign language. Mm-hmm. Not even having a deaf character character who can read lips and still speak. But yeah. the only form of communication with sign language was, I thought, amazing. Yeah. Fun fact, this is also the first time I've ever seen British sign language. Oh, okay. It's very different from American sign language. Oh, really? In what way? In all the ways. <laughs> <laughs> we, all the ways. We have a lot more use in there. What? How... No, no, just like you, I, I looked up some of it because I was trying to understand and like, there's a lot more like using your fingers, like okay, fingers mean something instead of like using your hand to be a specific symbol. Yeah, I think it's got a lot more sort of Morse code 
Yes, yes. Y- yeah, transferable sort of thing. Yeah, um, okay. But it was interesting because it also looked way more efficient. Like you could have a conversation oh, much faster in British sign language than you can in American sign language, uh, unless you're doing films. Like, shorthand. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It, it was. But, it was just. It was interesting. I looked it up because I was like, "That's just so different than anything." I've oh, ever how seen. interesting! Okay, I don't think I've ever noticed it. So, uh, um, yeah, that was great. Yeah, disabilities are, are not portrayed in the movies ever. No, really. no, they're not. And it's a shame. And they're not portrayed as well as this. I, and I think. I think they use it as a plot point at his wedding to make him say the things that his brother is actually saying. Yeah. But I don't feel like the brother is there with a disability for that purpose. No, this he is was just... his brother who just happened to have a disability. Yeah, this is just good inclusion, frankly. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I think I'm, I kind of have it more on my radar right now because of a character on Grey's Anatomy recently. Okay. They've had they just cast a doctor, a recurring character doctor who is deaf. And she chooses to primarily speak through sign language and the use of an interpreter even though she can read lips and actually speak herself. Oh, um and so watching and reading about why they made those decisions, it was just in the forefront of my mind when I saw this happen in 1994, right? Mm. When it's revolutionary that it's happening on television now in 2020. Yeah. Right. So 20 years ago, God, yeah, 26 years 26 ago? 26 years ago. You had this in the West Wing doing good stuff, so. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And then also, you know, I've gushed about Gareth and Matthew. They weren't out, but when their friends found out about it, it wasn't a big deal. They were just fine. I, I like, think their friends knew, though. I think it was established that they were a couple. And I, I, I don't, don't know if this so. is. I the, the The way it's presented, like, I think it was that everyone knew. I, I think the, the the most telling bit is the way he's introduced as Gareth's closest friend, Matthew. And mm. that's very much a, we can't directly say it in the church, in this service, but I don't, I don't think it was a secret from anyone or. Well, but Charles had a line when he was talking to Tom after, after the funeral. And he said something like, all of us have been talking about how we were single our whole lives and we're going to be single together and it turns out two of us were practically married anyway. Okay. So it's something very similar to that and it made it sound like they hadn't really known the extent of the relationship. Mm. But when they found out, they just accepted it. It's how I read it. Right. But either way, the relationship was accepted. <laughs> Whether they always knew or they mm. just found out, it was accepted. And so for 1994, again, I, I feel like these were some really great things that were happening in the movie. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. That's... I don't think I've ever picked up on that. And it almost diminishes it to me. Oh, no. It, but But in the same way, like, it's great. They have this character who's deaf, who it's just that's what the character is. It's not... We're seeing disability in a positive way. It's just part of his life and everyone deals with it. You adapt to your circumstance. So it's a really positive inclusion. I always felt that about the uh, Gareth and Matthew. That it was just, yeah, they're just, they have gay friends. And, and like you say, this was a very unseen thing at the time, certainly mm-hmm. on, in British TV. Um, I would suspect in America for another 10 years. At least. Um, so actually to have it that, oh, they didn't realize? Like, like I realized. <laughs> it was really bloody obvious. 
I thought it was obvious, but yeah. then I wasn't okay. sure because it wasn't explicit, right? Mm. So. Okay. Mm. What about you? I'm not, oh, not going to rewatch it, but that would make me rewatch it. Just look out for that. <laughs> okay. What about you? I think you enjoyed the movie more than I did, but it sounds like you have also kind of brought it down a little bit. But were there things that you particularly appreciated? I, I think having dwelt on it and th- trying to think, because I didn't find it funny when I was watching it, but actually going back, I, I can see that, yes, it's funny, potentially if you're seeing it for the first time. The, the swearing. The swearing is... The swearing think, is funny. Very funny. Yeah. Like, you've got a, a couple of, like, scenes of people at the beginning, and then it opens with them just going, fuck, fuck, like, five, six times as they're trying to get ready. Um, and and they I said, th- fuckity, fuck, fuck a couple times, and I'm like, other people besides me say fuckity, fuck? What the <laughs> hell? So that was great. I, I I think... I mean, it shows the, the, the British thing of swearing is just a useful combination of words at any good given moment. Um, I wholeheartedly agree. I don't think it necessarily... I, I mean, yes, it will do something to the religious American sides. I, I, I think the point of it changes the film from being a rom-com to being one other people can watch or, you know, it's not part of that genre. I think it just is slightly more adult than a rom-com was at that time. Maybe. While still being sort of, you know, British TV family friendly. Um, But the thing that gets me through the film is Chris and Scott Thomas. Okay. Who just acts everyone off the screen. Everything she does, she's just clearly the most capable person. Anytime she's in a scene, and, and I, I think I always say this when, like, when there's someone really good in a film, and it's just it's so obvious. That scene you're talking about, where she tells him she loves him, and she lights a cigarette, and she, you can just see the turmoil on her face. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Mm-hmm. I mean, she is delivering everything without saying much. Yes. You know, she says it best without saying anything at all. Um, Too bad we don't do music anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, the early bits where she's getting ready and, and preparing to go to this wedding and you've got her brother sitting down to a big breakfast and she just comes through and takes like a bit of fruit or half a slice of toast or something and just goes through the scene because yeah. she's the one running the household and in charge of everything and it's wonderful. I love her, the character, and I love Kristen Scott Thomas and everything she does. She's another one that I will just watch. And, okay. and this, she is she is exceptional in. I it's, enjoyed watching her on my screen. It's a shame, like you say, that she doesn't get more. That she's left out to dry a little bit by the film. After, after that yeah. big scene for her, she doesn't then get a... And in admitting it, she's able to move on and form this actually genuinely happy relationship with Rowan Atkinson mm-hmm. you know because that would almost be the more interesting story not she's getting together with a prince or, or you know, something on those lines the fact that she's marrying a vicar a bumbling <laughs> you know nervous little man who the opposite attract thing works on something on those lines yeah yeah oh well yeah she gets uh, me through the film she's excellent okay mm-hmm. great well is there anything else that we need to discuss about four weddings and a funeral? I was going to ask you about swearing. I don't think the swearing affected you other than making you laugh. Yeah, I swear a lot. So it was, especially since I met Joseph. Joseph swears about as much as the people in this movie do. And since okay. I've met him, I do too. 
Right. It's just part of my vocabulary now because there's so much emotion in swear words. Like Mm -hmm. you can say a swear word and like get rid of so many words. I appreciate that about swearing. (laughs) So I am all for swearing. You should definitely, I will definitely give a shout out then to The Illusionist, uh, which is a podcast about language. Mm-hmm. Like episode four is about the C word. And oh, is, I hate that word. F- is very, very good about it. But they have done episodes on different swears and different okay. and s- sexual language. And they've done a huge range of episodes on mm-hmm. different bits of vocabulary and so on. But okay. they've done some very interesting ones on swear words. And um, she, uh, Helen Zaltzman, who hosts it, is wonderful when she talks about the F word, about how it's a noun, a verb, an adverb. You can use it in pretty much any place you would use another word. Yes. And it, and it can work. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, worth going and finding them if you can. Richard Curtis. Okay. Richard Curtis has written a lot of films mm-hmm. um, that are more or less around the same sort of thing. I've seen some of them. I've not seen all of them. Are there any others of the Richard Curtis films that you would like to see that you haven't seen? Please hold while I go back and look at his filmography. And then I'll tell you. His his first film is a film called um, The Tall Guy, which is one of Jeff Goldblum's first films about a, a British stand-up comedian. The Tall Guy. Uh, I'm saying it's one of Jeff Goldblum's first films, but then I'm looking. He'd already done The Fly by that point. <laughs> like he'd been acting for 15 years. It's not one of his first films. Ignore me entirely. It's one of his <laughs> early films, maybe? Well, not even that, I think, but fine. Good. <laughs> um, I do really want to see About Time. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I still want to see Mamma Mia 2. Okay. Which We're he did the story the for. He didn't actually write it, but he... Story by. <laughs> and he was an executive producer. I still haven't seen it. I mean, I mean, story by for Mamma Mia 2 is, here are the titles of the disc two of the Abba Greatest <laughs> Hits. String them together into a plot, please, Richard. <sighs> well, apparently he did. And they brought Cher in, so... <sighs> Cher, I, I have no excuse for why I haven't seen this movie yet. I really yeah, don't. Marginally older than the woman she's playing the mother of. <laughs> I, I didn't like Mamma Mia 1. I'm not watching Mamma Mia 2. You cannot oh, make me. Oh, <laughs> I loved Mamma Mia 1. Ugh. Loved it. I can make you, actually. Mm, bring it. Uh, about Time was pretty good. <laughs> I enjoyed it. I, I would be interested to see your take on romantic comedy sci-fi film. I mean... I've I've seen several of them before. It's Rachel McAdams in a time travel movie. Yeah, it's been done. But oh, but this is a, an actual rom com. Okay. Yeah, no, it's not like yeah. It's, know, I mean, the time travel is why. Trying in the notebook. Yeah. Right. Okay. Hmm. All right. So yes, perhaps more Richard Curtis. Yes. Perhaps maybe the TV adaptation. Yeah, as I'd just be a comparison. Try and find it. Yeah. Mm. Definitely, and and I'm oh, I am thinking of getting you to watch Blackadder. Maybe that'll have to be like a a patron thing one day. Blackadder season two and four are amazing. One and three are still very funny, but less good. But at the same time, there's only six episodes per season. Mm. So. But are they like Sherlock episodes, and they're three hours long a piece? No, they're half an hour. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, I can do that then. Okay, half an hour, pure comedy silliness. Okay. I can probably give that a try. Mm. Miriam Margoyles is in it. 
who you've seen in as Professor Sprout in various oh, Harry okay. Potter films. Jim Broadbent's in it. Robbie Coltrane is in it. Okay. Lots of people. Well, I mean, you already had me when you said Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie, so. Yeah. And Rowan yeah, Atkinson. Hugh. Hugh Laurie is sublime in that. Good. Good. Okay. I was introduced to Hugh Laurie as Gregory House. Oh, really? And so I didn't know he did comedy first. Crikey. It's it's still really weird for me to see him doing comedy, even though I know that's where he started. Like, I figured that out eventually, but he's Dr. House to me. <laughs> okay, so let's go on a tangent. Jeeves and Worcester. Have you ever heard of Jeeves and Worcester? Sounds vaguely familiar, but no. It's a series of, um, what is it, a series of books? books tv show (laughs) where you have bertie worcester who is 20s 1920s sort of playboy aristocrat in london having silly adventures not too dissimilar from you know the ancestors of the people we've just seen in four weddings and jeeves the original jeeves his butler his valet okay yes and it's about their misadventures together Okay. And when they when they adapted it to a TV series when I was younger, Hugh Laurie played Bertie Wooster and Stephen Fry played Jeeves. And it is flawless. It is just exceptionally good fun. I want to watch this. What's it called? That Jeeves and Wooster. That might be the one to watch. So so Fry and Laurie were a, a comedy duo. They they had a TV show literally called Fry and Laurie. A little bit of Fry and Laurie, I think it was called. Huh. Like they are a, were a pair it. for a very long time. Like to me, Stephen Fry is this like serious linguist guy, and Hugh Laurie is Gregory House. So I, that's such a weird dichotomy to me. I I don't know things. Okay, I don't know <laughs> things, which is why we have an entire podcast dedicated exactly. to me learning things. <laughs> okay, so perhaps before Blackadder, we we look up Jason Worcester. All right. Uh, let's... Let's look up, because when was that? So, Blackadder finished in 89. Jeeves and Worcester was 90 to 94. And it ran for 23 episodes. Each episode is is 50 minutes. Okay. But I don't think we would necessarily watch all 23. I think there might be a declining declining quality as they go along. All right. It looks like they may actually be available. Some of them may be available on YouTube. Mm. Interesting. Right. I mean, I could buy the complete series box set on DVD from Amazon for $200. Worth it, frankly. <laughs> no. Wow, they were both so young. <laughs> the, the, there was a song called Putting on the Ritz that I love. It's one of the great songs. I know and they song. do they do a riff on that song in one episode. It's <laughs> just one of the funniest things I've ever seen. <laughs> good, okay. good, 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 good. And now, now I'm just seeing the list of character names. <laughs> Tuppy Glossop, Gussie Finknottle, Bingo Dittle, Honoria Glossop. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, magic. Right. All right. Well, if you would like to join the conversation, you can use hashtag PC Deprived on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing. You can send us an email to podcast at eloquentgushing.com. Or you can send us a lovely, lovely voice message at speakpipe.com slash eloquentgushing. 
As I said up top, we are completely funded by our lovely listeners through Patreon. Anything you can give, even $1 a month, gives access to early access to shows. It gives bonus shows. It gives you more cool stuff. It gives you physical stuff. We love you forever. It's just awesome. And it helps to support the network and to create this and our other shows. So if you want to find out more, you can go to patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And we will be back next week with another episode where we are going to talk about Donnie Darko. Until then, I'm Andy Kay. And not so much as a tongue in sight. Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, go to eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at eloquentgushing.